God bless our kids for uh, hanging on through our worship time there. Um, let me just quickly pray for them. Father, thank you for our children, for those downstairs with Chloe, the team that are serving them today. We pray that you would make your, no, your, your presence known to those young hearts, that they may experience love and care and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just before I, I preach, just one main, main notice today, which is that um, as a church at the moment, we're, we're in a season of, I guess you might call it a reboot. Um, you might have figured out that things are kind of week to week different, and the pandemic has definitely had an effect, but also I think seasonally as a church, we're just coming into one of those moments where um, I think the Lord is is speaking to us and calling us forward into new pastures, hopefully. I trust and, and believe that. Um, but on Tuesday night here, we're going to gather. On, it's the 5th of October, two days' time, for a follow-up conversation night. We had two conversation nights in August. Um, think of them as town hall meetings or members meetings or the community getting together. They were really good nights um, where we got to share a lot of our story to this point um, share how the last number of years has been for us as leaders. And we also got to hear from you and from many of the community. So we want to uh, begin to respond and speak into that. And um, Tuesday night here at 7.30, we're going to do that. So the coffee will be on, I have heard. Um, so please do come if you are part of the Redeemer community in any shape or form, whether you're brand new today, whether you've been here for 10 years, you're, you, that is a night for you. So please do come along. Tuesday night, conversation night. That's really the main notice. Um, you can follow along all the stuff that's going on online on the email and the podcasts, etc. Um, I want to jump in today to uh, what I've prepared. Um, we're, we, we started a series, I think it was back in May, called The Very Good Gospel Teaching Series. So we um, are picking it up again. We took a break for about a month, maybe longer, uh, probably five weeks. Um, the Practices of Jesus during September, led by my friend John Perrine. Um, but we're back, um, picking this up. There's three more of these to go that's going to take us through October, and then we'll be launching something new at the end of the month. Um, it's based on this wonderful book, um, even though we're coming to an end. If you haven't read this book, you can pick it up. Um, I'm sure there's a few copies around, but you get it on, obviously, any good bookstore. It's really, really worth a read um, by Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, I want to start today as we pick up, and I'm, we're speaking today um, on shalom and witnessing to peace. Shalom and witnessing to peace. And I want to start today by reading this verse from Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power, power, <laughs> power <laughs> um, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are the words of Christ to his disciples. Let me read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The purpose of, of this whole series has been, I suppose, to help us as followers of Christ and as a community have what I think is a fuller, a deeper, and perhaps a truer understanding of this thing we call the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Christ. In Ulster, <laughs> power is not only pronounced par, but the gospel is something to be shouted. It's something to be shouted through bullhorns on street corners. 
In fact, I was walking through Belfast city centre last week with, with Beth and Owen, and um, yeah, there was a lot of that going on, street preaching and all that. The gospel is something to be reduced down to a sentence or a verse and plastered on a wall or a billboard. It's something that's often depicted as needing protected or defended, something that the world needs, but often we kind of share it with the world by kind of lobbing it over the wall like a grenade and just uh, a grenade of judgment perhaps and making people feel like in fact it is not good news at all. In short, the sad reality I have witnessed in my life, I'm sure maybe if you have, is that the gospel so often can can be reduced to this very small, limited, individualistic pledge, like a pledge of faith that is simply just there to attend to the afterlife. That's the kind of token of it. Repent and believe, and you will end up in heaven with God. And although there's an element of truth to that, it is small and limited and individualistic. And in fact, this series, based on this book, has been trying to help us recover, discover, remind us again of what the gospel actually is biblically, what the gospel actually is, what Jesus Christ came to bring. And it is good news, not outdated tribal religion. And it seems like the church's task, as I said, as always, has nearly been to reduce... um, reduce the sharing of the gospel to throwing grenades um, or defending the gospel or if we venture out and witness to the gospel it can feel like a recruitment drive or a marketing scheme I guess it's really important to start there because that's that's the reality of the country that I have grown up in and it's maybe not your experience but I imagine you know what I'm talking about And I think it's largely what the world thinks about when it thinks about the church and the gospel, that it's a kind of outdated religious tribalism that makes us feel shamed and judged. And yet here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he leaves his disciples to return to the Father, he's telling his disciples that you will be my witnesses, my witnesses throughout not only Jerusalem, their own city, but to the, to the nation that they live in and also to the ends of the earth. So it begs the question, well, what does it mean to be a witness and what are they actually witnesses of? The dictionary says that the word witness actually um, means either one this, to see, hear, or know by personal experience and perception or to be present at an occurrence as a formal witness, spectator, or bystander. In general, a witness offers evidence of a claim that is true or false. And Jesus tells his disciples that from that point on, as he returns to the Father, that they will be his witnesses. In other words, they will be an evidence of him and his reality. We're going to get into that now. But I guess well, that is the question we're asking. What is the evidence of? What are we witnessing to? I guess the whole series has been trying to tackle that. As I alluded to earlier, the church today can often frame witnessing as a kind of throwing of grenades over walls, so to speak. These truth bombs that may bring shame or judgment, or they can feel like marketing schemes. Um, here's two little stories to sum that up. Um, One is the old school witness. I call it the old school witness, and it involved me in my youth um, going around Grey Abbey, Kirkcubbin, 
the peninsula with my fellow church folk knocking on doors and handing people at the door tracks to tell them that they needed to be forgiven from their sins and to meet Jesus. And I truly believe that that is what they do need. But that was the old school witness. They just knock, cold call, and it's like a marketing scheme. Here's a track, see you later. Um, and that was, that was, that was, I was, I was, I was involved in witnessing like that. Maybe some of you have as well. There's also the cool kids witness. The cool kids witness is where I've attended many conferences and workshops that have tried to help the church become relevant, cool, that have tried to help the church look like, feel like, talk like the culture. If we could only design worship services and worship music and settings to be relevant to the culture, we'll witness to something by doing that. They'll come to us, focusing on all the trappings to make the church cool, branding it, selling it, packaging it. Old school witness, knocking on doors. New school witness, let's make it cool and relevant. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples here about witness, he is referring to us being his witnesses. To being his witnesses, not doing witnessing, but to being his witness. We are to be the evidence as we show the world that the kingdom of God has come, that shalom, this good news, this very good gospel, where the peace and the rule and the reign of Christ has come, that we would bear witness to that by our lives. Let me take you back for a moment to those early days leading up to Christ. In Luke chapter 3, we have this interesting character called John the Baptist. You remember, he's coming to prepare a way for the Messiah. And he's telling people they need forgiveness for their sins, the, the ways in which their lives, their actions, and their apathy are actually going against God's peace and shalom in the world. That's sin. The ways in which they're living that is going against God's shalom, breaking God's shalom. John the Baptist is calling them to repent. He's calling them to turn their backs on the human kind of peace. What is human kinds of peace? Human kinds of peace is peace that seeks the welfare of some through the domination and the oppression of others. Let me say that again. Human peace is that which seeks the welfare of some people through the domination and the oppression of others. But be baptized, John preaches, which is to say, embrace God's peace for all. Not for the sum over the other, but true peace for all. Then we have, entering onto the stage, Jesus, who enters um, from the wilderness. John the Baptist has been preaching about the Messiah coming. Jesus comes and is baptized by John. And you'll remember that the Spirit of God descends on Jesus and says, you are my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And it is revealed in that moment in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he is the physical embodiment of this thing called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is located in Christ in this moment in history. And Jesus then goes on with his ministry. He enters into the desert and he comes back to the people of Galilee. And when he comes back to the people of Galilee, he's, he's coming back to these families in this village who have lived in an occupying empire, the Roman Empire. So that's the context of this, 
of this story and Jesus is coming back and these people in Galilee, they've watched their loved ones be put to death in droves. In fact, 34 years before, there was a major rebellion in which the Roman Empire slaughtered 2,000 men in one go. This is a people living occupied by the Roman Empire and have experienced great violence and it's into that that Christ becomes every family in the village affected living under the shadow of that kind of history where there was peace for some over the other. There was welfare for some over the other. Christ comes into that and he says this in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now in Ulster, that verse is on many billboards and sides of buildings. But what Jesus is saying here is contextualized to these people living under a false hope in a Roman-occupied Palestine. What Jesus is really saying to these people who've grieved and seen violence and seen injustice, they've seen their own families killed, their own livelihoods stolen, their lands taken. What he's saying, what Jesus is saying is this, things are going to change around here. Things are going to change around here. You have only known the human kind of peace that looks like the welfare of some over the other. You have lost loved ones, as I say, you've lost livelihoods, but ultimately Jesus is saying to them, you've lost everything. You're wandering aimlessly. You've experienced brokenness. You've experienced all the things we've even been singing about, despair. Sin has become domination. You've been dominated. Domination has become oppression. Oppression has become terror. And I know it's hard for you people in first century Palestine to believe this, but God is intervening today. That's what Jesus is saying. God is intervening today. Things are going to change. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe that God's kind of peace for all is actually possible. That that's good news. Repent and believe that God's kind of peace for all is possible. Choose God's way for shalom is what Jesus is saying. Follow God. That's what citizenship in this kingdom of God requires. To follow God with your whole life. He's reminding these people to come back and trust the creator God who created them, to trust him and God's ways of shalom in spite of their circumstances, in spite of injustice, in spite of living in a world where some prosper by oppressing the other. Trust and believe that God's good gospel is for all, for shalom, for peace. In saying these words, Jesus is identifying himself as, the, as I said, the physical embodiment of this kingdom that is coming in. He is identifying himself as the king of the kingdom, the kind of kingdom where peace is for all. A kingdom is not a kingdom without a king. Christ is identifying himself as the king, but he goes on in Luke 4, and we talked about this at the start of our series, and he describes in more concrete terms what the reign and the rule of this, what does this kingdom look like? What does it mean for God's peace to be for all? What does that actually mean? Do we just put up with what we've had? This is what Jesus says when he fulfills the prophet Isaiah. He reads from the scroll 
And he says this in Luke 4, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and to recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Good news for the poor is what Jesus is saying. Recovery of sight for the blind, the lifting of oppression. It's not enough to just put up with the status quo. I've come to intervene and disrupt it. This is an amazing fulfillment, as I said, of the prophet Isaiah. And at the very end of that passage, we're asking what we're bearing witness to this morning. So I'm just talking about this gospel that we're bear, we were to bear witness to. And at the end of that, that, that part I just read, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So good news for the poor recovery of sight for the blind, lifting of oppression, but he says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's he talking about there? This is just another way of saying, speaking about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, you may know in the Old Testament, was basically one of the pillars of God's government in Israel. Basically, it's a great idea. 50, after every 50 years, Israel were to wipe all debts right across the country. They were to free all slaves. The land that was uh, taken from people would be returned back to them, to the original deed holder. It's like a complete reboot. It's like if Boris Johnson stepped up and said, all debt in this country is to be wiped out, done. All generational debt wiped out, done. That land that you lost, it's given back to you. That was God's government. That's his year of jubilee. That is part of God's law. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's. He's talking about the year of Jubilee. He's basically talking about this government, this, this, this God's economy where no family would live in poverty and perpetuity. That poverty would not keep on going. That there would be an economic reset. We have no idea if Israel actually practiced Jubilee. We have no idea. But here we see Christ proclaiming it. And here we see the breadth and the scope of this thing called the gospel, the good news, not the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of the others, but God's peace for all. The gospel is about God's peace for all. Shalom, the making right and whole all that is broken and damaged and disconnected and disintegrated and bringing wholeness and healing and flourishing. Things as they should be. Peace. You'll remember this bowl that I used at the start of the season, season series. This is a kintsugi bowl. Many of you will know what it is. And it's a picture of the gospel, I believe. It's a picture of this kind of shalom, this kind of peace, because this is a, a Japanese art kintsugi. What it signifies is that nothing should be thrown away. What you'll notice is that there's gold leaf through this bowl. That's because this was shattered pieces. And the Japanese, they restore broken pottery by forming it together with gold leaf like this, and it creates these stunning and beautiful artifacts, pieces of art. The principle is this, that nothing should be thrown away and broken, 
but it should be restored and mended. This is a picture, perhaps, of your life, lived in Christ, my life. And this is an image of what this world could be, because this world is broken and shattered, but it could be restored. God could intervene. Things could change around here. There could be peace for all. The end result is actually more beautiful and unique than the original. It's a picture of what we've been talking about all along, this good news of God's healing and restoration. And as I was saying, for our individual lives, for your individual life, Dave, for your individual life, Caitlin, for your individual life, Matt, for your individual life, John, for your individual life, Lorraine, for your individual life, Paul, for your individual life, Dan, Naomi, everyone in this room. But it's also a picture of the society that we live in, not just an individual restoration, but a communal restoration. Where the kingdom of God rules and reigns is a place where the image of God is recognized, where the image of God in each human being is restored, is given dignity, is given worth. Every single human being, not the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others, but God's peace for all. That's a, is that not good news? Is that not good news? Very good news. What does that mean about us being witnesses to it then? Remember Jesus' parting words to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. It's not enough for us to just say Jesus is Lord with our mouths, but Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7 that we are to do the will of the Father. In order for us to bear witness to, to bring evidence of this presence of this kingdom as Jesus followers, we're to live it out. We are to be the change in the world. We are to follow Christ's example. We are to bring the shalom of heaven. We are to live out the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, bringing God's rule and reign of shalom and peace to earth. We are to live that out. We are to be witnesses to this extraordinary peace. We are to let our lives sing with this hope and joy. The original vision that God had in the Garden of Eden, despite it going off the rails, is to restore shalom to earth. The very good gospel. So despite our anxieties, despite our fears, despite our brokenness, God's vision remains and we are called to live it out. To live lives that do not seek the welfare of some via the denomination, domination and oppression of others, but to seek God's peace for all. Peace for the hungry, peace for the spiritually lost, wholeness for a fragmented world. Did you know that um, the early church was not actually known as the church? The, the church, the early church, was actually known as the way. The way, capital T, capital W, the way. And it's a reference to living the way of Jesus, this way of life, 
trusting Christ as king, but living out the way of the kingdom. In Acts 2, we see driven by the Holy Spirit into the public square, the way, the church, the way, the people were, was multi-ethnic and multilingual. We see a Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, rushing in and causing all that were present to speak all these different languages, but it's a symbol of how God brought languages together, not under some kind of imperial language, one language, but to, re to resemble, to signify unity in diversity. Unity in the midst of diversity. And in the same way, Jesus broke gender and class barriers. The way was a multi-ethnic, multilingual group that turned its back on misogyny and economic favoritism. Peter explained to the crowd why women and slaves were to prophesy along with free men. He says, in the last days, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see dreams, and your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. My point is this, that to be witnesses in this world is to bear witness to a different way of life. <clears throat> that is what the church is about, the way. Here's what Vinoth Ramachandra says about the church in a book called The Recovery of Mission. He says this, the Christians behaved as a new social grouping in the ancient world, a non-racial fellowship comp comprising both Jews and pagans. The gospel constituted a new category of human being, a new way of being human. Their primary identity was found in a new familial community whose social inclusiveness was unparalleled. Something happened 2,000 years ago through the life of Christ. God showed up and intervened and reset this world on a different axis. And the result was a group of people called his witnesses, the church, the way, us filled with his spirit. In other words, this radical community, the way that they were to bear witness to this gospel, this good news, was to live in this familial community with social inclusiveness that was unparalleled. In other words, all cultural, economic, and gender barriers were broken down. The Jesus way, it actually led to early followers of Jesus foregoing and boycotting the gladiatorial spectacles, you know, the, where the gladi gladiators would have fought to the death. Christians would not have shown up at that. They would have called that violent mass entertainment. They rejected it. They followed the way of peace. The way exercised the same extravagant love that we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's another one. In the prevailing culture, it was common practice to leave unwanted female babies in the gutter in hope that they would just die of exposure. The people of the way were those that went and found the babies in the gutter and saved them. This was a radical countercultural community. 
that was bearing witness to something that had happened through Christ in the world, that God was showing us how to be human, how to relate to one another, how to live in peace with one another, not just the welfare of some through oppression of the other, but peace for all. Further than this, the way the church practiced radical economic redistribution. It basically meant that they gave their money to each other (laughs) and shared it. You've read those passages in Acts chapter 2 where they held all things in common. They spent much time in the temple, the temple being this very public place where they were bearing witness to being this familial community that had both Jews and Gentiles, that had both men and women that crossed these barriers. They bore witness to that publicly by attending the temple together. It's a bit like all of us going down to St. George's Market on Sunday as a group. It's that kind of thing. The temple was not like church. The temple was like the marketplace, the center of religious and civic power, all of that. The people of the way spent time bearing witness to this new thing that was happening, this new category of of human community. And then at home, the people of the way, they were family to one another. They broke bread together with joy. They were generous. They were witnesses to the kingdom of Jesus. And I'm inspired when I read stories about the early church, the way when I understand the gospel as not simply a knock on a door, a leaflet, you need to switch to this religion, but this way of life that is radically countercultural, where we trust God for everything, the God of abundance, the God of cattle on a thousand hills, where we live our lives in counterculture to the wider culture. I am invigorated in my faith when I think of that, not trying to make the church relevant or cool. I think of it as a family of brothers and sisters who, like we spoke about last week, live their lives in love, the same love that Christ had, which is a cruciform love, a love that puts others before oneself, a love that lays down one's life for the other. Just like Christ, the humble king, washed his disciples' feet, the humility, the kind of love that came from this king, we are to live lives of humility and love for one another, love for one another in this room, to love our brothers and sisters, not to be a cool church, and not to throw judgment grenades over the wall. And I don't say that to judge other churches that do that or anything like that because I have been there, but I am trying to be faithful. I think we are trying to be faithful in our lives to figuring out what it really means to be a Christian and it means to live in community with one another. And as hard as it might be to forgive our brother and sister, as hard as it might be to love one another, we pursue it because Christ has shown us that it is the way. It is the way to life and wholeness and healing and hope. Unity in diversity. Preferring the other over oneself. Radical inclusiveness. Throughout the centuries, the way the church has continued to bear witness to this radical gospel. It has contended for justice. It has opposed the global slave trade. It has rejected violence at every turn. It has stood up for the rights of women and black people, the suffragettes, the civil rights movement. And I'm not calling Christians to live some kind of political idealism or ideology. 
But if politics is the reordering of society, that means that for us, we're going to be advocates for those that are on the margins. We're going to be called by Christ to be advocates for those who are oppressed because we want to lift up the oppressed. We want to take what's the setup of human peace, the welfare of some through the oppression of others, and we want to turn that upside down in Christ's power where there is peace for all, which is going to mean that we are to be advocates for peace in our city. We're to stand up for those who don't have a voice. It's part of what it means to be the way. To see what is wrong and make it right. To pray it right. To mend it. To pursue healing and wholeness at every turn. I'm not calling the church to be bipartisan. I'm not calling the church to be sectarian. To be overtly political in that sense. But to be cruciform to pursue the way of Christ, which is to lay down our lives, to pursue humility, to think about what we speak and speak in gentleness and love for the sake of others, to extend love, to speak up for the voiceless, all of that. Repentance means living that kind of life. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, come now and repent for the kingdom of God is near, this is what he is talking about. A radical community that decides we don't want to live this way that is broken, where only some have welfare over the, with the, through the oppression of the others, but we want peace for all, peace for the hungry, the spiritually lost, wholeness for a broken world. I've spoken too long this morning, but I want to finish with this concluding, these concluding words from Lisa Shan Harper, who wrote the book. Just listen to these words and maybe ask the Spirit of God to just let these words saturate your heart and your mind, inspire you, invigorate your faith, invigorate your view of what church is, despite what church can be and has been for many of us. It's tough, it's not easy, but at the heart of this gospel is this call to something beautiful. Let me read these words. She says this, evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God is thick wherever and whenever people stand on the promise of God that there is more to this world than we see. There is more than getting over, getting by, getting mine. There is more than the brokenness, the destruction, the despair that threatens to wash over us like the waters of the deep. There is a vision of a world where God cuts through the chaos, where God speaks, where there is light. There is a vision where there is protection and where there is love binding every relationship together. There is a call for humanity to exercise dominion over self and the rest of creation in a way that serves all, not just self. And there is a promise that as long as we follow God's way, there will be life, healing, and love. There will be a day when all the world stands before God in shalom. And there will be only one tree, and its leaves will heal our wounds. It's from Revelation. The very good gospel answers the heart cry of our age. 
our ransacked world is crying out for restoration of the governance of God and the shalom that it brings. As the body of Christ lives out the very good gospel in pews, around tables, in households, and in the public square, it is partnering with God to restore every good, tov meod is the word, every good thing to the world. It is exercising God's kind of dominion within the church. And it calls our leaders to do the same in society, to exercise the kind of dominion, the kind of governance that cultivates the image of God, protecting and serving all of God's creation. Let it be so. There is a way back to shalom. It is the way of God demonstrated through the person of Jesus, made possible through his death and resurrection. This is good news. This is the very good gospel. Amen? People in our post-Christian society, including maybe you today, maybe me today, maybe us at times, even as followers of Jesus, but people in our society, in our post-Christian nation, are hungry, famished for connection with God. And at times they've come to the church only to find the same sins and the same oppression that we see in the world. But as the church aligns itself to the way of Christ, and don't worry, God will align it. The true followers of Jesus are called to bear witness, to be witnesses to the God who provides for all that are hungry, to the God that is the bread of life, to the God who can restore every relationship, every human soul. We can bear witness by being a community that allows the kingdom of God to rule and reign in this community. We can bear witness to this way of life and peace and wholeness. Let me invite you to stand. It's a quarter past 12. We're coming to an end. I'd like to invite John and Matt and Caitlin up. They're going to lead us in a song. And we're going to come to the table. We practice this breaking of bread every week. One of the things that as a community we see the church the way doing was to break breads, break bread together, which is to remember Christ, the last meal that Christ gave his disciples, bread and wine that resemble, that remind us of, that signify his, his body, the bread, and his blood in the wine, his death for us. And in it, we are, we are experiencing grace. We are eating grace, as one, as one philosopher says. We are eating grace. We're participating in this gospel, this forgiveness, this story that we are part of. That we're part of God's family. To help us, um, the guys are going to lead us in a song. And uh, it's a click and collect so what that means is when the song starts, make your way up to the bread, grab a bread, go across, grab a wine, and return to your seat. And hold it there, don't take it. And then at the end of the song, we'll come together and we'll take it together um, just where we're standing. Um, before we sing, um, I just wanted to mention this one thing and, and lead us in a prayer that captures, I think, the heart of what we've been talking about today. Tomorrow is the Feast of St. Francis in the Catholic Church. Many of you know that I love a good Catholic saint. He's an acclaimed philosopher, mystic, teacher, 
He founded um, many orders in the Catholic Church, but he was also a leader of the evangelical poverty movement. His evangelical zeal and consecration, his vow of poverty and charity drew thousands to follow him. He had this great devotion to Jesus and the following Jesus' example of peace, of shalom in the world. Look him up. I thought it would be fitting for us today as we come to the table to pray this prayer together, which is the peace prayer of St. Francis. So I want us all to pray this together as an expression of our faith today as we come to the table. Let's pray this together. I have adapted it. It was personalized as I, but I've adapted it to make it a we prayer. So we're going to pray this together. Let's do this. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's sing and take bread and wine together.